Let's talk about famous last words. Famous last words. Irish writer Oscar Wilde, his final words on this planet were, either that wallpaper goes or I do. The wallpaper won. Leonardo da Vinci, the incredible artist, he said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Are you kidding, Leonardo? Seriously. All right, who is this? I'm going to the bathroom to read. Any guesses? Elvis Presley. Yeah. That didn't kind of work out that way for him. Franklin Roosevelt knew what was happening to him. He said in 1945, I have a terrible headache. And then he passed away. Maybe my favorite, the one I the warm to the most, was Winston Churchill, British Prime Minister. His final words were, I am ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the ordeal of meeting me is another matter entirely. <laughs> what would your last words be? Think about that just for a moment. What would your last words be? Jesus is credited with seven final statements, his last words that he uttered while he was on the cross. And each week between now and leading up to Easter Sunday, we're going to explore each one of those statements. What was he conveying? How can we learn and grow from that? Today we're starting with maybe the most powerful and significant. Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Let me set the scene for you. Some of you will know this scene all too well. You've sat in this scene for a long, long time. Some of you may be coming toward Easter and thinking, I should probably know a bit more, but I don't. So I'm just going to set the scene for these words that Jesus uttered. He was set up by his closest, one of his closest friends to be publicly arrested by a platoon of Roman soldiers who came armed to the teeth. They were manipulated into coming by the Jewish authorities. Now Jesus was a Jew, which meant his own people betrayed him to their arch enemy. The Jews hated the Romans, but the Jewish authorities sided with Rome over Jesus. He was put on trial by the Jewish authorities, falsely accused by paid off witnesses, he was abandoned by his followers and everyone that could help him and deemed to be a blasphemer, worthy of Roman execution. Because he was not only a religious problem, but he was an insult to the Roman Empire because he was a dangerous revolutionary, having not harmed anyone physically ever or incited violence. He then appeared before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and Pontius could find nothing wrong with Jesus whatsoever to the point that he said, I'm washing my hands of this. He was scared, you see, of the people rioting. He said that his death, if you choose to be such, is on your conscience. He said that to the Jewish people. He was a coward, but as a result of that, Jesus was sentenced to crucifixion. On the way to be crucified, he was whipped across his back within an inch of his life by a whip that was interlaced with glass, pottery, and bone fragments. Then he was ordered to carry a cross, 
a cross beam, actually, that weighed in excess of 50 kilos, up a hill they called Golgotha, in the heat, through a crowd, bare feet on the gravel. There he was stripped of all of his clothes, and I know the, um, the artists who have been in our past generations have, have wanted to add a loincloth, but there was no loincloth in the story. He was nailed to the cross in excruciating pain as his wrists and his ankles were pierced with giant nails, spasming the nerves and causing the hands and the feet to cramp in on themselves as blood filled his lungs and he ultimately would suffocate. Then he was ridiculed and mocked as all that happened, hanging naked on a cross when his 11 closest friends kept their distance because they were scared to death. And then he says these words. <laughs> Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That not, they're not what I would expect to be in the top 10 things people would say in Jesus' predicament. They are superhuman words. They are beyond belief. Words that shine divinity into humanity's disaster especially when you realize that Jesus wasn't just viewing all of humanity and all that happened to him through human eyes. He had God's perspective. He saw the betrayal of God in God's own people. He saw their disinterest in justice in any form. He saw their religiosity that had met them. They'd lost the spirit of the law. He saw their abandonment for the sake of comfort he saw their lethargy and, and, and in the face of evil. And yet, those words were perched on his tongue. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's just spend a moment just pondering that. Holy Spirit, I just pray you would speak to each of us about the gravity and the power of these words. Help us to engage with them and hear them and see them afresh, how they were spoken by Jesus. I am, I find forgiveness one of the hardest things to do. Do I have any friends? Are you with me? It's tough, right? Forgiving is just hard. To utter words like this, that's, that's really difficult. To let someone escape your right to have revenge is hard. To cancel the debt somebody owes you with no reward, no, no, no payback, it's hard. To be able to let go of the pain that you've been experienced by another that you never deserved. Forgiveness is hard, wouldn't you say? Are you with me? Forgiveness is hard. There's a recent example of a man called Jean Brandt. Has anyone heard of the story of Jean Brandt? Well, I would share that story with you, but the microphone hasn't. You know, just don't distract me. I'm just in the middle of something. Jean Brandt, well, I, I, what we're doing, what we're going to do, instead of me telling the story, I'm going to show you a news clip. This is put together by CNN. And it paints a picture of this incredible act of forgiveness that John Brandt was, was drawn into, and more so how our culture and how our world handles and understands 
forgiveness. It's just three minutes, but I invite you to watch. Until this week, Brad John says he never rewatched this breathtaking moment. A heartbroken young man hugging the former police officer convicted of murdering his big brother. In a wide-ranging interview with Brad John and his attorney, the 18-year-old revealed the road to that moment was filled with frightening anger. Pretty much like hated her. It was really bad. Like I used to talk to my friends about wanting to kill her and stuff. I mean. It, all this changed like after I heard her um, apologize. I just had to hear it once, and that's when like my heart kind of opened up. And like right there at the ending, when I come up, I just you know let it all out. The hug catapulted Brad John into a spotlight he never expected. John has shied away from countless offers to give speeches and interviews, but he's most impacted by the stories from people who stopped him on the street daily. What does that tell you that so many people are coming up to you and trying to figure out how you did it? I I feel like they want to do it too. Um, I feel like they want to apply that to their life. Um, and they just want to know how. Brad John returned to Dallas this week to accept the Ethical Courage Award from the Institute for Law Enforcement Administration. John saw it as a chance to deliver another powerful message. I was scared he was going to kill me. Amber Geiger said she saw Botham John as a threat. Those words left a painful scar on Botham's family as they tried to understand how a black man sitting peacefully in his own home could be a threat. You say, ask yourself, what are you doing? I'm <coughs> sure that there will be no other families like mine. I want you all to know that I am not a threat. That young black males are not inherently dangerous or criminal. Brant John's mother says her son's hug of Amber Geiger rescued him from the depths of anger. You want him to come out. I would like him to speak out about what has happened and what it has caused. Um, but I cannot force it on him. In January, Brant John will begin studying civil engineering at Harding University in Arkansas same college his brother attended. He hasn't communicated with Amber Geiger since the trial, but remembers her final words clearly. What did she say to you? Um, I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to talk about that. It was just kind words, honestly. I like knowing that only the two of us know what we said. And, you know, it helps me appreciate it more because her words felt genuine. Um, it felt honest. Brad John is a reluctant voice for social justice, more comfortable in letting his actions speak for him. There's a hunger in our world for forgiveness. People on the street came up and asked him how. How on earth could you forgive? Now, the good news that we have is that Jesus teaches us how to forgive. Jesus, is teaches, te Jesus teaches us how do we live these words because he lived those words. In fact, forgiveness flowed out of Jesus so freely, it was like somebody turned the tap on of forgiveness out of Jesus' life and then took the tap handle and threw it away. There was no stopping the forgiveness that just flowed out of Jesus. 
We struggle to be like that. Here's, here's kind of a, a metaphor of how, how we grapple with this. Say someone hurts you. It doesn't need to be a big hurt, but somebody hurts you. They, they really take something from you. They hurt you. And what happens is you take a photo of them. Take a photo or maybe it's a video. You don't actually do it, right? That would be a bit strange. But the metaphor, we take a photo in our minds of that person and that situation, that instance, and we replay it. We replay it, right? We spend a lot of time looking at that photo, analyzing it, interrogating it, asking questions of it, questioning ourselves as a result. We put filters on that photo. We edit it, it gets changed and it moves and morphs. And the toxins that come from that affect our lives. They damage our hearts. We look at that photo of wrong so much that it gets stored in our internal, long-term storage. It's not something that happened in a moment. It becomes part of our story. And we want to make that person pay because they are the epitome of evil. We, we sometimes wish or hope or even pray that they would get what they deserve. Sometimes we even take that photo and we set it to our wallpaper. So we get to see it all the time. So we think about it all the time. So it's right there to protect us, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. For me to be wary and we have this constant reminder of that situation that happened. And just remind ourselves, we're talking about one situation here and how often is it multiple situations and different people and different things. But we look at it over the time and it ends up overwhelming us. It overwhelms us. But the problem is we look, we look for all other clues to reinforce that truth that we've been hit with. And we become more and more insecure and the bitterness grows and grows and grows. And when we're hurt, that's what hurt wants to do. That's how hurt wants us to behave. To make us look at that hurt all the time and make us respond out of it all the time. But hurt people hurt people. Someone who is hurt hurts other people. And when we don't address our hurts, it distorts us and it deforms us. And we may not see it as clearly as everybody around us who says, your heart is just grown cold and hard and bitter and it doesn't need to be. But if we work hard, and we do, we want to work hard in this space, and we work hard to forgive them and we can put it aside. We can put aside this wrong and so it's no longer there. It's no longer on the wallpaper. We've actually deleted the photo. It's gone. And so we have this sense of relief and maybe that person has moved away. Maybe we've moved away. Maybe the situation has changed so it won't happen again and we have a sense of like, ah, I've done it. I've forgiven them. Ah. Now, interesting fact, I don't know about, you know this about your phone, but if you delete a photo or a video on your phone, it doesn't actually delete it. It puts it to a folder that says, recently deleted. And you can actually go into that folder and find any of the photos that you've deleted and reinstall them. It's like something happening and you go, and I'll take that hurt back, thanks. You know how it works when we see that person again and what you thought was forgiven and done is like, ah, like the photo's back. I thought I deleted it, 
the photo's back. Someone mentions their name and your heart just goes, and you're like, oh, the photo's back. We think we've forgiven, but that bitterness still sits there. And the problem is that when, when, when we've forgiven, when we've deleted that, that photo from our screen, we haven't deleted it from our operating system. When we've taken it away from our visual sight, ah, oh, there's relief, but we haven't got rid of it from our hearts. It's human condition. Now, Jesus is the absolute master of the permanent delete function. Because you can go into your phone, you can find all your photos, and there's a permanent delete. Delete all, select, and they're gone. You can never get those photos back again. It's like Jesus had a direct shortcut from temporary delete to permanent delete. That when something was done, he just went, it's done. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Because he aligned himself with God. And when, when he aligns himself with God, he, he, he finds that he has so much radical strength and perspective and hope and freedom. When we align ourselves with our Savior, who declared over all hatred, forgive them, Father, they do not know what they do, we receive this radical strength and perspective and hope and freedom. But, but it operates a little bit differently, doesn't it? You see, when we're harmed, we do not jump immediately. Someone hurts us and we don't come away going, oh, I'm thrilled about that because God's going to use that to build me in my life. That's not kind of how the reaction we normally take away. The reaction's like, oh, I want to hurt them back. I'm going to do to them what they did to me. We don't often immediately feel like God shares in our hurt and surrounds us and encourages us. We actually feel weak and vulnerable in the wake of such damage. We don't necessarily immediately think, oh, what an opportunity this hurt is for God's graciousness and God's victory to come. We wish we did, but that's, if we're honest, that's not frequently where we go. We go, oh, the relationship's done, the opportunity's done, the situation's done, it's lost. And it's all because we believed in a lie. See, we often don't get to experience the freedom that God has by saying, God, I give you this debt that I owe somebody else, so just give it to you. We feel it's mine to repay, and we do that because of a lie. And the lie is this. When others are violent toward us, and violent isn't just physical violence, violent with their actions or their words or their behavior, they, they hurt us. The lie is that if I repay that act of violence, it makes things right. It squares the score. But what happens is an act of violence is done to us and we uh, put an act of violence toward them and instead of one subtracting the other to make a zero sum, it accumulates. Violence accumulates. It cannot be dismantled by another act of violence. And often it leaves that person feeling like they have been hurt and now they need to perform an act of violence toward you. The only one who is great enough to absorb the violence of this world is Jesus. 
to absorb all the violence of this world, which is what he did on the cross. This is what the cross brought. He absorbed all of the violence of this world so in him we could be protected from the violence, from the effects of that violence. So as I was preparing this, I decided, uh, I, I, I put some time aside and I said, God, if I'm going to preach this, I need to know if there's someone in my life or my heart that I haven't forgiven, which is horrible. So what you guys are going through right now, I've already been through. It's, I know it's not comfortable. My God, and, and as I was praying in this, a number of like, if you think about photos, like I'm, I'm flashing through photos on my phone. It wasn't actually on my phone, but my, I'm seeing this person, I'm seeing that person, seeing that person. And I realized with each of the, the names and the faces that flashed up, there was no bitterness attached in my heart. I was like, ah, I think I have. This is, this is great news. This is great news. I, I don't think I'm holding on to any grudges or bitterness. And then I had this moment, I'm like, how is that possible? Because I previously have not been great at this. That would not be the result of previous encounters like this. And when I was praying with God, I'm like, like I just, I want to be sure, like, how is this? I felt God teach me that the Holy Spirit living in Jesus is what held Jesus to God. And from that position with God, Jesus could relinquish all the hurts that he'd encountered. That's how Jesus had the strength to do it, because the Holy Spirit said to Jesus, you're living with us. And so Jesus lived his life in the presence and the relationship with the Trinity, so that when that pain came to him, it was shared and God conquered it, so Jesus didn't have to carry it around. And I felt like God saying, that's happening gradually for you, Ralph. You're finally growing in that direction. You see, I would look at this season of ministry the last number of years and go, it's been tough. I, I, on average, I've probably been hurt more in ministry than I have on average in other seasons. And yet, I feel like I could utter those words with no malice or hurt or reserve of, Father, forgive them. They don't know what... They do. That, they, they, the essence of that sits in my life. And it's because the Holy Spirit has held me closer and closer to God. And it's because I've gone, I can't do this, God. Help me. And God has taken me and enabled me to find this space with God where things come to me. I find it so much easier now to say, God, just can you deal with that? I give up my right for revenge. Just can you deal with that? See, it's only in God's presence that we can risk foregoing our right to revenge and trust God for that. You see, forgiving isn't about overcoming hurt. It's about trusting Jesus and trusting what he's already done. And some of you have been horrendously hurt, been horrifically hurt in your lives. It's not a quick and easy fix. It's not one sermon. You go, huh, glad I heard that today. Been missing that the last 20 years. That will help. Well, I hope it will help, but it's not a quick and easy fix, these hurts that we carry around. But there is a way through it. There is a way through it. And that way is trusting Jesus with your hurt. Jesus trusted God so deeply, he constantly gave his hurt to God. He gave up that right for revenge. He left it in the arms of God to deal with. 
And it's in God's presence that we're reminded again how much we have received that grace and that forgiveness from God. We are reminded again that we are totally unworthy. We are so sinful in the presence and the the vantage point of God. And yet what does God do? We think my sins should should um, uh, be the, the um, wages of sin is death. I, I should pay for these sins. And God goes, you should, but I'm going to give you my forgiveness. I forgive you utterly, entirely. And what we need to realize is we have offended and hurt and sinned against God far more than we could ever be sinned against. And some of you know the depth of sin that can be done against someone and your heart is broken from it the depth of sin that we commit against God is greater than that. And God's response to us is, I still forgive you. Come be with me. Come be in relationship with me. Find this strength that you can then offer those who have hurt you. You can offer those situations and find some reconciliation in the brokenness that's there. You see, we were not made to function with unforgiveness hanging off our hearts. We cannot be fully who God calls us to be. Our hearts cannot flourish in the way God wants them to flourish if there is unforgiveness still clinging to our hearts. And so some of you today, and I don't know who or what, and that doesn't matter, but some of you need to forgive. You need to trust Jesus with that hurt. And some of you need to come before God and say, I'm sorry, and I want that forgiveness. I want that forgiveness renewed in me, given To me, perhaps some of you, it's the first decision you've ever made toward God about your personal sin. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to play a a video. It's a song to just sing over you whilst we have some time with God individually. And I've chosen the song because I think the themes and the power and the imagery of it will really help us today. But we're going to come out of that and then I'm just going to create some space where we might invite the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us, continue to bring some healing and and help us to trust Jesus in that. And then we're going to move out of that into our final song and the prayer corner will be open and if you need to meet with someone and pray with someone, we'd love that. But let's just move into this time prayerfully. And Lord, I just pray you would speak. We are vulnerable and we are here. We have hearts that are broken and hurting. Help us to forgive and help us to know your forgiveness.